We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone. This is the recently engaged Tyler here, and I'd like to tell you how you can end up with someone way out of your league. See, some would look at me and call me Megamind or the thumb from Spy Kids or Chicken Little, and they'd be right. But what do I have going for me? It's the performance of my package. The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped, that is. Inside, you'll find the upgraded Lawnmower 4.0, Weed Whacker, Crop Preserver, Crop Reviver, Boxer Briefs, and a Shed Travel Bag. And if you couldn't figure out what those were from the description, I'd be happy to draw you pictures. Get the package to take care of the lackage in your package in the sackage by using our code GUILTY at checkout for 20% off your next order. You won't regret it. Hey guys, welcome into the Guilty Starts podcast. My name is Steven. I am your host. Really excited about today's show. I'm excited about every show because I just love talking about football. But joining today, joining me today are my guys Tyler and Alex. Alex, we'll start with you, man. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. And we finally figured out what was happening with Tyler's shirt. Uh, he fixed it, but I think it looks uh, it looked cooler before. So I think you should go back to it. <laughs> Tyler, how you doing, man? Okay. <laughs> okay fuck you sorry i wore this shirt today jeez um, um oh, how are the 76ers alex oh shit <laughs> no comment no comment. Well, well steven i'm glad you're excited for today's show because while i do like talking about football our main topics are tyron johnson and and brandon face on so i'm glad you're pumped for this i'm kind of excited <laughs> to talk to you guys but i mean it's it's not like they're the most glorious topics Hey, man. Well, I'm, I'm always excited to talk to my guys. Still haven't met you, but I feel like I know you better than, than <laughs> most of my inner circle friends, which is just kind of hilarious. Um, but yeah, yeah, Tyler mentioned we're going to talk about uh, Tyron Johnson and Brandon Staley, or Brandon Staley, Brandon Faison <laughs> getting some love from Brandon Staley in his press conference uh, and, you know, being potentially listed as breakout players. Uh, we're also going to talk about Tom Brady, again, shout out to him for bringing the Chargers back into the conversation. Um, and then we're going to – our main uh, topic today is the defensive line group. Like I said last time, we're going to be breaking down each position as we head into training camp, which as of today, as of recording this, we are officially five weeks away from training camp, so uh, can't get here fast enough. 
All right, let's start with the Tom Brady conversation because uh, for those who have not seen it, Tom Brady was a or is a guest rather this coming week on LeBron's The Shop on HBO. Um, and he had a comment about his free agency and, you know, the teams that he was potentially signing with. And, and he said that there was a certain team that was kind of interested, not really. And then at the end, and he was really surprised and he said, quote, you're sticking with that motherfucker. And uh, sorry about the expletives today if that that was uh, if that bugs you. But that was a specific quote. Fuck. So it is what it is. <laughs> um, so a lot of people were speculating, you know, who is that mother effer that Tom Brady was specifically talking about? Could it have been Tyrod Taylor? Could it have been the Charger situation? Um, and then, of course, you know, the NFL update page asked the question. You know, would you take Tom Brady or would you take Justin Herbert for for 15 years? So, Tyler, we'll start with you on this one. Uh, What are your general thoughts here with Tom Brady bringing the Chargers back into the news, back into the conversation? What did you think of that whole thing yesterday? I mean, it first got, you know, brought across my attention by Fernando's tweet with the big eyes. Like, oh, you know, maybe he's referencing the Chargers here. But, like, to me, my understanding, and if it were true, and to be fair – half the things we hear about the Chargers don't end up being true anyway, or someone just ripping off some BS. So if they were interested, it, it just seemed like they were, if they were, I believe they were interested pretty much till the end. Yeah. So I don't think it's necessarily the Chargers that he's referencing there. Um, Tyron Taylor does fall under the category of you're going with that motherfucker. Like I think that he does fall <laughs> yeah. under that category of guy. Um, but otherwise like, if the bears were interested, I'd probably think it would be them because the chargers, at least like they knew if they were going, if they were going to stick with Tyrod Taylor, they were probably going to draft a quarterback. So it's like, it's understandable. So for her, for Brady to go, Oh, they're going with that guy. Like, I don't think it's the chargers. So for them to stick with Trubisky instead of going with Brady, that makes a ton of sense. Um, As far as the 15 year comment or, well, first it was the, you know, would you rather have the Super Bowl or or Herbert? Like, in a, in a vacuum of that question, I would I would want the Super Bowl. Sorry right. to Justin Herbert, I think he can take them to a Super Bowl, absolutely. But I want that Super Bowl, and I don't want to be that patient. My grandpa was like seventy five when the Eagles won. I don't want to do this for the next fifty years, <laughs> pretending like, oh, is this the year? Is this the year? No, I want that championship. But the question makes everything away from everything that happened last season you know from anything from the chargers won't be a team that would ever sign antonio brown um the coaching staff was completely different that coaching staff yeah bruce arians is the head coach but the other two coordinators probably should have been head coaches this season this cycle or at least next cycle and you know the chargers would have traded for turner because they did that before brady made a decision they probably would have taken werfs but then it doesn't matter. By week four, Brady probably blows out his ACL playing behind this line. Again, there's no there's no money to sign anybody else. You know, unless you hit on all your draft picks, which Telesco wouldn't have. I don't see how they would have gotten past the Chiefs, past the Titans, or anybody just because Tom Brady is there. Like I get the whole Brady way thing, but you know, the Bucks defense was incredible during the strat during you know certain parts of the, the season and certainly in the Super Bowl. The Chargers would have had nine out of eleven players missing from that game. So I don't understand why the question was brought up. Like, oh, would you rather have, like, I don't know. It, it, it's just an odd question. Sure, I'd take the Super Bowl, but he would have not won a Super Bowl on this team. Yeah, so in terms of which team was Tom Brady talking about, 
Uh, I think it was the Titans uh, because of the uh, whole uh, the coach situation there. Uh, also, Brian Tannehill. I mean, Brian Tannehill's great, and I think we know that uh, now. But I could see someone like Tom Brady talking down to someone like Ryan Tannehill, uh, and that's sort of why I thought it. Benjamin Albright seemed to kind of think the same thing. Um, it could also be San Francisco or Chicago, uh, but the Chargers were in it to the end, and they were they were offered him the same deal the Bucks did. Uh, from what we know. So I, I really don't think it was them. It was just that Tom Brady didn't want to come to the West Coast. And I was vehemently against him coming here uh, for a variety of reasons. Like you guys said, he would not have won a Super Bowl here. It made sense to go uh, in a different direction and build towards the future, whether that was with Tyrod Taylor or Tyrod Taylor plus drafting a quarterback. Uh, it, it just didn't make sense to go after Brady with how this team, uh, you know, uh, was structured you know you could have gotten Tristan Wirfs in the draft or Jedrick Wills but that would not have prevented Derwin James from getting injured that wouldn't have prevented all of the litany of things that you know happened like yeah sure maybe they do go get Antonio Brown and sign Leonard Fournette uh, and give in to Brady's demands uh, I, I think that could have happened but I don't think that Tom Brady would have made the Chargers a contender as far as the hypothetical, though, if you're just saying, okay, it's purely one Super Bowl or the next 15 years of Herbert, I was thinking about this today, and I'm like, you know, Rich Eisen, I remember at the time, saying was saying stuff like, oh, well, you know, if Brady signs with the Chargers, I will get Chargers season tickets, and I would, well, you wouldn't have worked last year if you got season tickets to right. the whole pandemic thing. But, you know, I think Brady would have created a lot of buzz in the LA market and a lot of people who came to Chargers games, but I don't think he would have created a lot of Chargers fans, right? I mean, I think Brady yeah, is kind of, point. yeah, Brady is the first kind of NFL version of LeBron going from team to team and, you know, people following their favorite NBA players around. I really think he's the first uh, of that kind of caliber of just like, oh, I'm going to go to this team and people are going to come he wouldn't have created a whole generation of Chargers fans. I, I don't think that would have happened even if he had won a Super Bowl here because then you we would have drafted Kyle Trask this year and then people would be waiting, you know, the next 10 or 15 years <laughs> to figure out if Kyle Trask well. is the guy, you know, after Tom Brady is done playing. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's an interesting hypothetical, but at the end of the day, considering I don't really believe that Brady would have won a Super Bowl here this year or last year, um, I'll take 15 cracks at it with Herbert and, and see what you get. Uh, I think that that's kind of the best, uh, you know, part of this. And the Chargers see themselves as an organization that is in Los Angeles for the next 20 years and creating the next generation of Chargers fans. Justin Herbert is somebody who's going to create Chargers fans uh, for a long time. Uh, Tom Brady would have created Chargers fans for like three years and then he would have retired and then we wouldn't would have been like well that was awkward um, so <laughs> like I, I just don't you know obviously I want the Chargers to win a Super Bowl more than anybody but I kind of would just rather take you know 15 cracks at it with Herbert than you know do this whole Brady thing you know especially considering it wouldn't have worked anyway yeah Alex that's a great point I, I didn't thought of that until just now you know i think that is absolutely you know and la sure like you know la has been used to the whole kind of like mercenary method if you will with the lakers in the past and and with the with the dodgers as well so 
I, I, but I do agree, obviously, with, you know, the, the chances of creating a, a fan base, creating a culture in Los Angeles is far greater with Justin Herbert playing at the level that he did last year. Um, as it pertains to like him choosing the Chargers or, or who this comment is about, um, I, I kind of agree with Tyler that it's probably about the Bears. I think some people were obviously like laughing at the Raiders because it's always, you know, we are as Chargers fans, we always just <laughs> want to laugh at the Raiders. Um, yeah. But I, I don't think he ever seriously considered the Las Vegas Raiders because I think he knew that, you know, the financial side of things with Derek Carr's contract were never really like, it was never a real possibility because I think the the Raiders would have, have had to do a lot of juggling things. You know, and Tyler, like Tyler said it right. In a vacuum, yeah, you take the guaranteed Super Bowl. But that's the thing is like, that takes away all the context. And like my brain isn't, my brain isn't X plus Y equals Super Bowl. Like the whole thing about the Chargers roster last year is that they were, you know, a few pieces away from really contending. And, you know, people kind of forget and people joke about him. But Brian Balaga was the consolation prize and Chris Harris to not signing Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we're going down this list of things that would have had to happen, right? Tom Brady playing behind Jedrick Wills or Tristan Wirfs and then Sam Tevy or Trey Pipkins on the other side and Forrest Lamp and Dan Feeney. Like, maybe you keep Russell Okung in this scenario. Maybe not. I don't know. Like, that's a lot of what ifs to really go down the box. But I guarantee you that that offensive line, even with Tristan Wirfs and Russell Okung, is nowhere near as good as what Tom Brady had with the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers have arguably, you know, a top three center. They have a top three right tackle, a very serviceable left tackle, very, very serviceable left guard and right guard, and they had really good depth. Then you add in mm -hmm. all the weapons that both of you guys have talked about. And, you know, I, some people back then were like, well, Tom Brady would, would help Anthony Lynn bring the best out of Anthony Lynn. And it's like, would Tom Brady cover up some warts? Sure. Is he going to make Tom Brady look like Bruce Arians, Todd Bowles, and, and Byron Leftwich? Leftwich? Absolutely not. So I don't know. Just like in a vacuum, yes, absolutely. You take the Super Bowl. But my mind doesn't work without all the context and with all of the butterfly effect that would have had to happen or would have yeah. happened if you signed Tom Brady. So, uh, yeah, I'll take Justin Herbert. And, you know, I truly believe that Justin Herbert has, you know, best charger of all time ceiling potential um yeah. you know and so i just think it's a different conversation and i think we've seen now the best way to really build a contender is get the right quarterback get him the right head coach and then kind of go from there and certainly right now it seems like the chargers have done that i i will say the one thing about tom brady is man would doing these summer shows be easier if we had tom brady and we could just put that in the title and get ten thousand views every video yeah that would be funny. Um, but you know we're talking about uh jalen guyton tyron johnson so that's what we're doing today <laughs> yeah absolutely being able to talk about the goat every other episode would absolutely do some wonders for for our views and stuff like that so buccaneers fans you know good for you guys uh, i'm glad you don't have to talk about Jameis winston <laughs> anymore and get to talk about Tom Brady. So uh, we're going to pivot now to, unless either of you have any other thoughts on that. Nope. All right. So we're going to talk about Tyron Johnson and Brandon face on now. Uh, Shelly Smith did a wonderful article for ESPN um, about some potential breakout candidates for the chargers or potential. I believe her exact words were under the radar chargers. And apparently Tyron Johnson has been getting some love. 
I've listened to every press conference the Chargers coaches have done, and, and it's not been like anything exuberant. But I mean, Tyron Johnson, I think I am a believer in Tyron Johnson's skill set. I think you look at how fast he is and how and his ability to run routes. I think it's you know he should be the wide receiver three in my opinion. Um, Alex, we'll start with you on this one. What do you make of Tyron Johnson? You know, breaking out, and what would that look like for you? I kind of buy the Tyron Johnson hype. Uh, I I think he's a a very possible breakout candidate. And, you know, you mentioned the speed, and I don't think it's just that he has speed. It's that his overall athletic package is really good. I mean, obviously, we we talk about the fact that he was a five-star recruit at LSU. Um, And unlike Jalen Guyton, who, you know, Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson are equally fast, but Jalen Guyton's ceiling is kind of Travis Benjamin. Like that, that's what his kind of yeah. peak is in terms of, you know, what, in terms of what, and, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, I mean, in terms of what Benjamin was more with the Browns than the Chargers, but, there you, go. Um, yeah. you know, so like if he can go up and get that deep ball, that's great. And, you know, reduce his drops, but Johnson, I think, as Steven pointed out, is the better route runner and can do more uh, with his overall athleticism than just run in a straight line and, you know, eventually outspeed. Mm-hmm the the defender so to me i I buy the hype uh i think that i i don't know if he's really what his stats would be that kind of depends on what they think of josh palmer what does his coaching staff think of Jalen guyton yeah but i mean in 12 games last year he had almost 400 yards which was more than i thought he had um you know just thinking back to it when i was writing my article this week so you know that's really 30 40 yards uh, a game production just being dropped off from the practice squad into the team. Um, and, you know, some games he had more than others. But to me, that's that's kind of – if he could do that in year one coming off the practice squad, what he can do in year two with a full offseason and a full preseason and working with Justin Herbert, like I, I think that's very tantalizing. So, um, you know, we disagree on some breakout candidates like Jerry Tillery, but Taron Johnson uh, I am full lockstep with. I think that he could be – uh, a real breakout candidate, especially considering his restricted free agent status this year and the fact that he could get the bag from another team next year. I buy Tyron Johnson as a breakout candidate. I don't necessarily buy the article that it's like he's an under-the-radar guy that the coaches are hyping yeah. up like crazy because I feel like every Chargers fan knew about Tyron Johnson after last season. And then, like Steven said, I don't remember him being brought up a ton being hyped by coaches. And sure, our access is very different. We only get a couple of press conferences from a couple of coaches, yeah. but I just don't remember them being like Tyron Johnson, man. It's always been kind of a Mike Williams thing, but you know, the ceiling is there. He's a number five wide receiver recruit coming out of high school and a guy who averaged 16 yards per catch coming out of high school or excuse me in college. Yeah. And you know, I don't recall exactly why it didn't work out, but it's the ceiling is definitely there. And while Guyton and Johnson early on, you know, they're both kind of like, the, Oh, you know, they each had like 50-yard receptions in the, in the Bucks game or whatever it was, and they were known as those deep guys. But then Guyton never fixed his, his drop issues, and he right. certainly never really seemed to be much of a route runner, whereas Johnson had good hands as is, and he started to develop not just you know having that, that speed, of course, but also being able to use that speed so the defense had to respect him and then learning how to take everything underneath and run all sorts of certain different things. My only question, which... I think Johnson can do this. I don't see why this would be a problem, but they had a different role last season between Johnson and Guyton, where Guyton played a lot more in the slot than Johnson yep. did. This, the percentage of his snaps that Guyton played in the slot were double, more than double that of Johnson. I don't see why Johnson 
couldn't do that. But if they see Johnson as, you know, only an outside guy, then is he stuck behind the two receivers that they have? Or, or is he an interchangeable piece? Is it because they want Allen to come inside? They want him to be that, that receiver that comes inside and does when you're kind of the fun toy of the offense. So is Johnson, your outside guy then across opposite Mike Williams. So I kind of have to wait and see what his role is going to be. If they think he can play inside outside shoe in wide receiver three, there's no reason that Guyton should be starting over him except for the fact that he's like slightly more not experienced, but he, you know, he caught more balls, had more targets last season. So I absolutely think he can take, you know, that wide receiver three spot. He should, he absolutely is a breakout candidate. Um, I just, I'm waiting to see what they think of him in his role, but it is good to see him take, you know, it looks like he was taking some throw. Uh, Herbert was throwing him some footballs, which means he's probably out there with the first team. So, which is, which is great. I don't know how much Keenan or Mike Williams are actually playing at that time, but you know, the coaches have been very tactical with who they've hyped up and who they've left out. And if, if they are hyping this guy up, which I haven't really heard or seen, but if Shelly Smith is right and they are hyping him up, then I believe it's legit because they, they are very tactical with who they hype up. And if they are hyping him up, then we should expect big things. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm so curious to see how this offense and specifically this wide receiver room, you know, fits together and really fits what Joe Lombardi's vision is because like when I look at these mm-hmm. players, you know, I can kind of see why Mike Williams and Michael Thomas are, are, you know, drawing some comparisons. I can definitely see why Keenan Allen and Mike Thomas would, would, you know, get some comparisons and Keenan sure. Allen and, and Willie Sneed. That one makes sense. But the, in terms of like the speed guy that the saints have generally had, you know, a Roquan Smith, a 10 Ginn, you know, those guys are almost always outside players, right? And, and you know, guys mm-hmm. who are able to kind of just take the top off and, and um, you know, that's their role is to make sure that the defense is always paying attention to them. You go deep. And then Michael Thomas, Jimmy Graham, Marcus Golson, they're all going across the middle. And so, like you just mentioned, Jalen Guyton did a lot more out of, the, out of the slot than out wide. He did, you know, it was essentially, you know, about 50-50 for him. But Tyron Johnson was 80% yeah. out wide. He was he was rarely going into mm-hmm. the slot. And, of course, some of that is, you know, you have Austin Eckler in the slot and you have Jane Geigen in the slot. And not, this year you'll have Jared Cook in the slot. So, you know, Tyron yeah. Johnson being an exclusively an outside receiver, I don't know if that hurts him or helps him, right? Because we don't know enough about yeah. this offense right now. And so I think Tyron Johnson absolutely has the skill set. And then, you know, I'm looking at their pro football focus profiles right now and looking at Jalen Guyton's six drops and Tyron Johnson's zero drops granted you know fewer targets and stuff like that um but I don't know man like I'm just looking at all of these numbers and and just looking at everything I I don't see a reason why you know Tyron Johnson can't take that next step and you know how much that develops into statistics for him I'm not really sure it's a very crowded offensive skill group but I think if Tyron Johnson can get up to, you know, 450, 500 yards and, and, you know, maybe I don't want to say double, but increase his targets by like 25%, I think that could mm-hmm. classify as a breakout season for him. And then maybe that kind of, you know, shows the charges that, hey, like I can be, you know, as important as Mike Williams in the next offense. And I don't know, it, it's just a lot in the a lot up in the air right now. But I absolutely believe that Tyron Johnson could be a breakout player for them. For sure. The only other question I have, and I don't know if you know this or remember this, I was actually surprised to see that Jalen Guyton's yards after the catch numbers were so much better yeah. than Tyron Johnson's. 
to me, it looks like in practice, they're running a lot of some sort of crossers and letting these receivers get those yards after the catch, get them in space, get them turning their heads and running upfield or whatever. Do you remember if Guyton is his yards after the catch more just like he caught it at the 30 on a deep ball and ran the next 30 yards? Or was it like, I don't remember him having a lot of like crosser kind of stuff. Like, I don't remember how much of it was like, say, like Mike Williams against uh, Green Bay or against the mm. Broncos second game, I believe, where he just, you know, gets the ball in the drag or whatever it was and, and take it to the house. I don't remember. I'm trying to remember what those what those plays were for Guyton, because the only play I can re- remember was the drop he had against the Raiders. So I don't. <laughs> Yeah. Like I'm trying to remember, like I'm trying. So, I was going to say that Johnson is probably a better yards after catch guy, and I think he could be. But then Guyton was technically in that stat better at that. But I just don't remember uh, the context of those of those you know the numbers. Yeah, you know, um, if you look at average depth of target, Tyron Johnson's at 20, Jalen Guyton's at 16. So, you know, to me that shows hmm. that Guyton was running a little bit shorter routes from time to time, uh, and Tyron was really exclusively running go routes. Um, so I don't know, like that, that is interesting. Cause I would have thought the same thing that, you know, Tyron's a little more, um, quick twitch than Jalen Guyton is maybe they run, you know, similar 40 times, but it seems like Tyron Johnson is someone that is more adept at running, you know, short area quickness kind of routes than Jalen Guyton is. But, and maybe that, maybe some of that is that they, I remember they did run a couple screens to Jalen Guyton on occasion, especially when Keenan and Mike were hurt. Mm-hmm. So maybe that yeah. could be contributing. Um, it is interesting, though. You know, you talk about yards after catch. The number one player on the Chargers in yards after catch was actually Justin Jackson. Um, so hmm. I don't know. That, that's an interesting statistic. And Steven Anderson was second. And uh, Virgil Green was fourth. <laughs> isn't, Virgil really? Green, isn't Virgil Green like basically that one Jaguars catch? Uh, or no, that would be yards after catch. I can't think of a play that Virgil it was like, Green had. Uh, yeah, I Virgil can't think Green of yards had, after catch for Green. Virgil Green had three catches, three catches for fifteen for fifty yards and a touchdown. So he had that one touchdown catch against the Jaguars where okay. he broke his ankle. Um, so then on the other ones, <laughs> he must have gotten you know like sixteen yards after the catch, essentially. I really have no memory of that (laughs) only i only remember the jaguars catch and that would have been zero because it was a touchdown so right i don't know yeah it is going to be interesting to see how that one pans out and so we i we talked a little bit about brandon face on on our uh live stream last friday you know he's certainly someone that is pretty polarizing on charters twitter um just kind of seems like he's someone that is you know, taking the brunt of some jokes and things like that. But, you know, I'm going to say this again, the context of Brandon face on is that he is a former undrafted free agent. And so I always laugh when people like face on or Rod teamer or Michael Davis get treated like their first round picks and they're bad. And then it's (laughs) like, well, this is who they are, but it's like, you know, that's not how things work. Like players develop over time. And, you know, unfortunately players who are undrafted free agents kind of take a little bit longer than we would hope sometimes. And so, you know, I said this before, but I remember talking with Jason last summer about potentially, you know, wanting Brandon face on to start instead of Michael Davis. And then look at Michael Davis, look at the season he had. So it's not Mm -hmm. out of the realm of possibilities that face on does, you know, work himself into a starting role. He becomes a very valuable piece and, and he does become a starter or a breakout player because we just saw the same thing with, Michael Davis. Now they're two different players, a little different stylistically. Um, but Tyler, how much do you buy Brandon Face on potentially being somebody 
that surprises people and starts and, and, and is a breakout player. There's a couple of ways I could take this. I, okay. Context, I guess, from how, how I view Baron to face on and probably why you and Jason were talking about face on starting over Davis last season. I don't remember what Davis had, but you know, in 2019, I forget what the injuries were, obviously for and, or maybe it wasn't for I don't know. Point is the cornerback room per usual was decimated. Yeah. And Faison was thrust into action against the Colts, like pretty early on in that game. I think he wasn't the starter, but then like three plays in, he had to go in. And it was tough. It was really tough against the Colts. But then he goes and plays a little bit better against the Lions the next week. And then the third week against the Texans, he only gave up eight yards. And that was his last start for a while. But he gave up 61 yards and a touchdown in one game, in that first game. 65 yards, no touchdowns the second game. And then just eight yards in that third game. And he kind of has gone for a while. The team must have gotten healthy. But then he has, in week 13 and 14, you know, another two games he's thrust into action. And he gives up just 47 total yards in those two games. And 10 of them came against Denver, which is interesting because we know that this coaching staff, at least with Staley, they'll watch players, but also like specific players, but they'll also admire who they're going up against. It's kind of why they drafted Josh Palmer. Staley was evaluating probably defensive backs watching these SEC DBs and wondering who this guy is that's destroying his the, the DBs that he's, he's scouting. So who was on Denver in 2019 when Faison was giving up just 10 yards and thrust into action? That was Staley and Ronaldo Hill. So it's possible that they do see a kid with some potential who was unfairly and kind of like Trey Pipkins of course, Pippen's is a third round pick, so there's more expectations there. But, you know, Faison was kind of unfairly thrust into action and then slowly started to play well with more reps. And so it's interesting that they're giving him these first team reps over Samuel Jr., which kind of makes sense. That's kind of how the NFL works. Let the rookies, you know, kind of earn their spot. But I, I could see why they would absolutely give him, give Faison a fair shake with the first team to see how he can hang with some more prep time. So, is a breakout season possible? Like, I think so. And they're at least, I think, doing their due diligence to see what he has and why not. Like, you know what you have in Samuel Jr., Chris Harris, and Davis. Based on kind of a wild card because, you know, he obviously got better in 2019, but he just still doesn't have a whole lot of reps. So I'm glad they're taking a look at him. I guess the only thing I could see is if Harris goes down, like, I, don't, I can't see why Faison would start week one, barring injury. But... With injuries, say Harris goes down, I guess I could see Samuel Jr. being like the slot guy because I believe both Harris and Samuel Jr. are learning slot outside and a little bit of safety. So I do believe that Samuel Jr. can kind of mirror sort of what Harris is doing. And then Faison could take the outside role because I don't, th- I don't think either Davis or Faison have much inside experience. Right. So I guess that's the way he can get to the breakout season. Like I don't think he'll be the starter week one. But I could see it happening. And if he does start at any point in the season, give him some time because he has shown that he can he can figure it out. It just takes a little bit of time. Uh, yeah, it, it kind of depends on what like Tyler said. How do you define breakout candidate? Um, I don't think he's going to be starting outside for all 16 games. Um, I would kind of be very surprised if that was the case. Granted, I, I would have also been surprised, you know, if you said that with Michael Davis this year and Michael Davis was awesome, right? So um, to me, I would kind of say, it, I think that they are probably just trying to work Samuel Jr. into that role, but 
I do think uh, when Samuel Jr. eventually does become the outside corner, that Faison will still have some kind of rotational role where he comes onto the field more, uh, at least by what they're you know kind of saying now uh, and the reps that they're giving him, at least more than somebody like, you know, say, Tavon Campbell, who had to come on last year and who was getting reps, you know, really before Faison did. Um, or, or some of the other players who, you know, came in when Casey Hayward went down, you know, they didn't even put Brandon face on, on the field last year. They put, um, man, they, Jalen Watkins was at corner for a while, um, in some spots, you know, uh, so, you know, that, that was a little bit of a weird time, but the last coaching staff wasn't, you know, super thrilled with face development, um, I'm cautiously optimistic, I guess, when it comes to face on just because I do still want to see how it progresses and maybe how his ball skills are different than, say, they were in years past. Uh, but I do think that th- there is potential for a breakout, depending on how you define breakout. I think Tyron Johnson is, you know, when we talk yeah. about these two players, much more likely to be the actual breakout player who ends up, right. you know, landing some kind of big contract, whether that's with the Chargers or somewhere else, uh, you know, next season versus face on, it would just be getting more snaps and be becoming a bit more uh, diversified as a corner. Uh, so that I think would be a good breakout season if, if he is uh, playable, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do agree with that one for sure. And, you know, just looking at or listening to Derek Ansley's comments about Brandon face on, I, I can kind of see what they're looking at with him. You know, he mentioned his, his size, his physicality, his tackling ability, all, all things that are important in, you know, Brandon say the scheme, which is going to play a lot of quarters, ask your corners to play off coverage, you know, quite a bit and then be able to come up and tackle. So I can understand that. I can kind of see him maybe taking some snaps at, at you know, kind of the star money role a little bit because of his size. I would be shocked if he starts over Asante Samuel Jr. Like, I, I think that the pure talent of those two players is, is very different. And, you know, I, I tend to think that face on starting with the ones is is more about them trying to make Samuel earn it, maybe bringing him in along a little bit more slowly. If face on starting week one, then I, I would be very, very surprised. Will he have a role? Yes, because the Chargers are going to be playing so many defensive backs that he's going to play, you know, Mark Webb's going to play, Alohi Gilman's going to play. Like, all these players will see the field and will know pretty quickly if they're effective players or not just because of the sheer amount of people that Staley is going to rotate in. Um, but mm-hmm. I I agree with Alex. I buy Tyron Johnson much more uh, more totally. likely as, as a breakout guy than Brandon Faison. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. But, you know, we'll see. You know, I, I know what, we kind of made the jokes, but I am excited to see how these these two players pan out. Um, I'm also excited to talk about the edge rushers, and this is where we're going to break break it down and have some similar conversations like we did about the defensive tackle room. I think the biggest thing, you know, with this edge rusher class, edge, edge rusher group specifically is, you know, who stays healthy, right? Like, you know, I know I kind of led the same thing with with the group. Like, if if the Chargers can withstand a, a Limbaugh Joseph room uh, injury, excuse me, but Joey Bosa has had various struggles with injury, and so has Uchenna Unwosu. You know, we don't know about Chris Rumpf yet, 
Kyler Fackrell has been mostly a supporting role. So who, I guess, wording it differently, who opposite of Joey Bosa locks down that other edge rusher role? Because while I think this team is very excited about Uchenna and Wosu, like, I wouldn't be shocked if Kyler Fackrell kind of takes that spot from him. You know, I, I think that is in the realm of possibilities. I don't know about you guys, but I don't know if this coaching staff is all in on Uchenna and Wosu like we all think they are. Um, I, I, don't I think, think you're insane. Necessary. I don't think there's any <laughs> shot that Nwosu gets uh, gets upseated by Frackle or Rumpf unless Nwosu, you know, something off the field we don't know about. Um, I'd be absolutely stunned if Nwosu loses his job to either of those two guys. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any chance that happens. Um, also because, uh, I mean, Rumpf, I don't think he's really playable in a starting role at this point i think he can be right. rotational mm-hmm. guy for sure and you know if something happens to joey bosa if something happens to uchenna and wosu then you kind of have no choice but to put chris rumpf in or you know you're moving jerry tillery to edge or something like that um but to me yeah like i i don't think they really have a guy that's playable other than back role in certain spots but I, I don't think that they tend to, or that they plan on using him in a way that's just going to be every down um and you know and mostly was unfortunate last year uh because he had the knee thing towards the end of the year um also had an injury in november if i recall uh did he have a covid thing i i don't remember if he had covid or not i i can't i can't think because mm. i for some reason i mentally had that in my head for a while uh, I don't think he did because I did a Google and nothing came up uh, other than his okay. injuries. But for some reason, I remember that. I don't know why. Uh, but yeah, so I-, I think that the injuries are not too concerning to worry about for the long term. Um, obviously, we are entering a 17-game season. Uh, so I think if yeah. he had you know, something that was a more drastic injury, uh, such as a-, a tear of some ligament or something like that, I, I would be a little bit more worried um bosa is the one that because it is specifically concussions and how long he had to miss last year when we're talking about four or five games um and once you get one concussion you're kind of more likely to deal with that you know for the rest of your career um you know i i think that's going to be a tough one to watch uh, obviously i hope he stays healthy uh, I think he generally will still play, you know, at at the very least 12 or 13 games, barring some kind of other injury. Um, but that's something that concerns me just because I, I do think he may have to miss a game here or there or, you know, like last season, come out of a game because of the concussion protocol. Um, so that, you know, does worry me a little bit more than in Wosu because, you know, the football injuries can happen to any player. Uh, and you can make the case that and Wosu can get concussed, but just because we saw that happen with Bosa last year twice, uh, that's something that uh, is probably the most concerning thing on, to me on the line because they can kind of like patchwork uh, it for Wosu. They really can't patchwork it for Bosa uh, if he's out uh, at all. Yeah, I guess my my thinking with you know the Ky- Kyler Fackrell thing is, you know. I maybe I'm just scarred by Anthony Lynn and Gus Bradley saying that they were still trying to figure him out, you know, 17 weeks into year three. So 
I don't know. I just, you know, I think Nwosu is is going to be a really solid player for them. I know a lot of people have kind of, you know, dogged on the Chargers defensive line because they don't really have a, a true star next to Bosa. But I do think that Nwosu can be a very, very solid and effective pass rusher. I don't know if we'll see him be like prime Melvin Ingram, but I do think that Nwosu, if he stays healthy, can be yeah. that, a solid secondary pass rusher guy. Um I, I guess the next logical step here, you know, we kind of talked about this a little bit on our live show, but there was the comment from Joey Bosa that he is going to be dropping into coverage a little bit more. And like I said, we did talk about this on, on our live show, but you know, not everybody who watches our lives, listens to our episodes. So uh, we are going to talk about this again, Alex, do you think like, what do you make of Joey Bosa dropping into coverage and should people be concerned about it? Should people be excited about it? What's your general thought process on Bosa dropping into coverage more often? Yeah, I mean, dropping into coverage is kind of a vague term. I mean, you know, Joey Bosa is not going to be, you know, lining up uh, aside from like Jerry Judy, and they're just going to be like, <laughs> hey, go get anything. Uh, <laughs> that's not really what's going to happen. I, I think, you know, on the inside, you might have like running backs or tight ends that, you know, just kind of slip and, you know, Joey Bosa maybe has to go after that guy. Um, I, you know, we, we've seen some of the same thing with, you know, Uchen and Wosu in the past uh, on certain situations. Melvin Ingram, you know, maybe has before. Uh, I, I think it's just more that the Staley system views their edges as pretty much all kind of flexible outside linebackers. Um, in a way. So to me, I'm not really concerned or excited about Joey Bosa dropping into pass coverage. It's just something that's going to be different, you know, compared to uh, the previous regime and Gus Bradley. So uh, I'm not too concerned. I mean, listen, I'd much rather have Joey Bosa drop into coverage than like the four times Linval Joseph had to do it last (laughs) season for whatever reason. So we're already a step up there. But I think they brought like is it going to happen? Sure. Bosa's at some point is going to drop into coverage. It just is what it is. That's the NFL. But I do believe that they dro- they brought in Fackrell and Rumpf to alleviate some of those issues. And maybe yeah. on third down, I don't know what the play is called or how they want to mix and match their defense. But, you know, put your defensive tackle and Joey Bosa on one side and let Fackrell or, or Rumpf. Fackrell did it plenty of times. Um, not that I've, I've watched all of his game film, but other things that I just kind of blew through and watched him in pass coverage, he's very quick to get out to the flat to get that running back. Very instinctive that way. Either the running back or like a screen. And then Rumpf is another guy. You could also do that as well. A guy you can mix and match behind Bosa. You can also, I forget what that first game was that I watched of his. It's not the Miami game. It's his good game. Steven, you can remind me. It was his good game that kind of changed your mind a little bit. Oh, North but Carolina. in that game, he had... Probably. Anyway, in that game, he had, you know, two reps where he's the guy lined up behind the tackle and then he takes off to go cover the running back in the flat. So I do think that he can kind of take, I think both of these guys can alleviate some of those things. So is Bosa going to be in coverage at some point? Sure. But I do think there's players that you can mix and match behind him to kind of not force him to be in that role. I don't think Staley's stupid. I don't think he's going to be like, well, I don't know. Like I want Bosa out there. So I'll just have him out there because he's really talented. No, I do think they're going to let him put his hand in the dirt and like he drops in the coverage. So what? But he won't have to do it as often. And I think they brought in those two guys to really help alleviate some of those concerns. Well, and to your point, and Wosu can do that same kind of thing as well. That's what he did yeah. his rookie season was rush the passer, drop back into the coverage. He was kind of that that Sam linebacker slash edge hybrid. So 
I'm not concerned about both Joey Bosa mm-hmm. dropping into coverage either. It's not going to be like Alex said, you know, him lining up, matching up with someone. I, I assume it's mostly going to be, you know, him covering the flat, maybe dropping back over the middle, covering, you know, the, the hitch areas and really just sure. gives the chargers options. And the, the main thing that I've learned while watching Brandon Staley's defense and listening to him talk and, and listening to other people talk about football, you know, it, it's all about, creating mismatches and, you know, dictating terms to the offense. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you can kind of picture it. I, I can definitely do a breakdown on this kind of thing, you know, later on in the summer, but, you know, essentially you're going to bring five, six guys to the line of scrimmage. Ideally you want to overload one side of the ball. And sometimes that means, you know, you might have someone in the a gap, someone in the B gap, someone outside, maybe the outside person drops back every once in a while and, and kind of confuses yeah. the offensive line like that. That's the whole goal is to mix up your looks, mix up your games. And if that means that Joey Bosa drops into the flat or drops, you know, five yards straight back, maybe he spies the quarterback every once in a while against someone like Patrick Mahomes. That really is the whole thing is, is you're just trying to confuse the offensive line and allow your defense to dictate terms to the offense. And so this is, this is just another way for them to kind of seek out one-on-one opportunities for, for all of their players. Obviously if Joey Bosa is dropping, not, if Joey Bosa is dropping into coverage, you're not getting a one-on-one matchup for Bosa, but you're trying to get a one-on-one matchup for maybe Kenneth Murray at the A-gap. Maybe your goal is to try and get Kenneth Murray against a running back instead of an offensive line. And maybe your goal is to try to get mm-hmm. a guard against Jerry Tillery. So it just kind of is a way for the Chargers to mix things up, confuse the offensive line, and, and dictate terms. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. And, you know, Staley ultimately plays to his defensive strengths, like you said. So, you know, I, I I haven't watched video of this and I don't know, but I'm going to guess that, you know, Aaron Donald wasn't, you know, <laughs> lighting up against wide receivers, although that would be terrifying uh, if I was a wide receiver. <laughs> so Aaron Donald coming in past coverage. Uh, but, you know, so I, I don't think there's really anything to worry about other than just well, you know, they view these guys as having to do these things on occasion. And like you pointed out, um, and like I pointed out a bunch of times last year, you have to have a QB spy. And it was so frustrating when Gus Bradley didn't do that last year. So if you have Joey Bosa doing that occasionally on snaps, I think that's fine. Uh, And I also think that that's fine when, if Mosu wants to do it sometimes too. So just to your point, Alex... I'll go for it, Steven. No, you go ahead. Oh, just a quick thing. To your point, Alex, um, Aaron Donald had zero coverage snaps last season, <laughs> but he has three games graded in coverage from PFO. <laughs> so make that, that makes work. sense. That makes sense. <laughs> um, Joey Bosa did have two coverage snaps last year, for what it's worth, um, which is less than Jerry Tillery, Melvin Ingram, Uchenna, and Wosu, and the same amount as Linval Joseph. So. Um, Gus Bradley didn't really drop defensive lines very often, but um, I think, you know, we'll essentially see it happen like once every other game is my thinking with Joey Bosa. Sure. I think the other outside linebackers, like Tyler was saying, will absolutely drop back more often. Um, All right, guys, what other questions do you have or what questions do you need to be answered for this edge group? Uh, Yeah, I I think the biggest one is probably just kind of, what is Kyler Fackrell? I mean, like, I, I do think he's a good <laughs> rotational pass rusher. Um, but, you know, can he hold up against the run? Because I think that's kind of the most important thing when we're talking about the guys that are going to fill in for Mwosu 
uh, or Bosa on specific snaps. And the guys that you had, you know, kind of doing that last year, Isaac Rochelle occasional, uh, most of the time, and you know, Jerry Tillery occasionally do it. Like, it, it's just tough, I think, for, you know, to, to really cover uh, the edge like that. And so I think Kyler Fackrell is a good pass rusher. I just don't know about his ability to hold up against the run anymore. I don't have too many specific stats on this, but just from watching film, the, the Giants didn't really use him in too many of those situations. Um, you know, kind of when he was starting for the Packers, he did, but he hasn't really had to sort of be, you know, a, not a permanent edge, but a guy who has to really fill in rotationally for a while um, in the way that he would be needed to do that in this defense. Um, you know, certainly the Giants used him as a guy that maybe would drop into coverage more as opposed to a pass rusher. Um, and so mm-hmm. I, I, I would kind of think that's that's kind of the determining factor because they have let a lot of guys walk uh, in, in free agency or, you know, just really just had no use for them anymore, maybe in their current defense. Um, so I, I think that's going to be interesting to watch. And that that is a big factor also in terms of Rumpf, too, because I know there's a lot of Chris Rumpf fans, and I'm not necessarily against Chris Rumpf. I just sort of think he's, you know, a year away uh, from really, you know, kind of uh, obviously growing into his body, but, you know, being able to be playable in some of these late game situations. um, I don't know if year one is going to be the year for that. So we'll see. Um, But yeah, I I think Kyler Fackrell is really the X factor in terms of how this whole thing works. I will stay away from Chris Rumpf slander because apparently people don't like when you objectively post 30 plays from a game, but whatever. Um, (laughs) My question for Rumpf is, is he the key to this defense, at least maybe the front seven, being multiple and freeing up Joey Bosa? Because look, fine, some slander. He's not a good run defender. Like as a, he's a horrific down to down to down run defender are there flashes absolutely when he lines up against a guard and beats him across the middle or over the middle through the gap whatever he's great but that's not a consistent thing that's not not every down he's lined up against the center or guard yeah but he's not really brought into to be an edge setting run defender and of course he has to do that one day to start but you know the role that i would envision for him and this was sort of more reserved, at least in a little bit that I've watched more for a linebacker with the Rams. But, you know, is he that third guy that rushes, you know, when you say overloading one side to give Joey Bosa that one-on-one when his hand's in the dirt? Because you can put your defensive tackle on the center and Joey Bosa on the guard and, you know, have your stand-up edge rusher like they have with Floyd, Donald, another stand-up edge rusher on the Rams. You know, is is he the guy that they're going to bring to free up? They have options. They have Derwin James. They have Kenneth Murray. They have Drew Tranquil. They have plenty of options. Hell, neck knee blitzed. But, you know, for me, I think, like, I want to see his role because I do think that he potentially, and why I say he'll be a better pro than a college player, that he, I think he is might be the key to getting Joey Bosa those free one-on-one reps because they're going to try to overload one side with Chris Rumpf. So that's the question I want answered. What is his role, and is he the key to freeing up Joey Bosa, or is it another player? 
Yeah, that's an interesting point. You know, both of those are are interesting. So to Alex's point first, Kyler Fackrell, um, I mean, it's PFF, right? He has a 66 run defense grade. He had 18 run stops, which is more than Umwosu, more than Isaac Rochelle. Isaac Rochelle had 16. Umwosu had 15. Uh, it's more than Frank Clark, Yannick Ngakwe by one. Uh, and he ranks about he ranks tied for 51st in run stops among the edge rusher players. So as a complimentary player, that's that's pretty solid. I, I think he's okay at run defense. I'm not going to go out on a limb and say he's like this amazing run defender, uh, but he can do it. And I think the numbers in the film point to him being an average to slightly above average run defender. And, and that's a similar thing to what Isaac Rochelle was as well. Um, obviously, I think he offers a little bit more of a pass rush ability than uh, Isaac Rochelle does. We'll have to see how that pans out this year. But um, I, I think, you know, you're signing Kyler Frackle because he's solid, right? You're hoping that he's you know kind of a stabilizing force for a, a unit that had a lot of injuries last year uh, and can be an upgrade over Isaac Rochelle. As it pertains to Chris mm-hmm. Rumpf, I think in an ideal world for him as a rookie, I think we see him play 10 to 15 snaps a game, obviously assuming that everybody in front of him is healthy. Um, You know, Jerry Tillery Mm -hmm. kind of had that treatment as a rookie because like you said, he's got to continue to develop both as a player on the field and, you know, his physical profile off the field. I think he's far from done growing. He's got great length and and he's got really good athleticism, but he's got to figure out a way – to kind of combine the two because, you know, when I interviewed um, the reporter from Duke, from Duke, he was saying that, you know, Duke had him add some weight and it didn't really pan out. He kind of lost a, a bit of a step because he wasn't comfortable playing with that weight. And listen, like he, he can't play edge at 225. He's got to figure out a way to play edge effectively in the NFL at 240, 245. And that's going to take mm-hmm. a little bit. So, uh, you know, I'm a little less low on him than I was initially, of course, but, you know, I do have some concerns because he's got to figure out how to grow his body, develop his body to a point where he can, you know, fit the profile of what they're looking at. Because Uchenna Nwozu is a very, he's a very filled out 245. Kyler Fackrell is 250. Jerry Tillery, if you want to play him on the edge, you know, he's 280, 290. Like you've got to get to the point where your speed and athleticism is not deterred by adding weight. So that's my concern with him specifically against the run, because there aren't any other edge rushers out there playing at 225, setting the edge and being effective run stoppers. So um, I think, you know, in an ideal world, like I said, give Chris Rumpf 10, 15 snaps a game, give him a couple run snaps a game just to see what he can do and have most of it be, you know, rushing the passer, dropping into coverage and, and things like that. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to point out here. Kyler Fackrell actually had 100 coverage snaps last year. So obviously the schemes are not, you know, straight across. They're not super similar with with what the Patriots and Giants and Dolphins are running. Um, But he dropped it into coverage way more than any, you know, Rams outside linebacker did. So it is interesting. Maybe that's kind of something that they can exploit. Um, But that's the last thing I want to talk about with uh, Kyler Fackrell. Yeah. um, I I just sort of thought three. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I just sort of thought watching uh, Fackrell's tape with the Giants that he definitely dropped into coverage. Uh, I felt more than he was a, a run defender. So 
I think that's something to watch maybe even more than Uchen and Wosu. He's a guy uh, uh, that's going to drop into pass coverage pretty often. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised about that. I do think it's funny that we're talking about Chris Rumpf needing to gain weight. Uh, in the last episode, we just talked about how Linval Joseph <laughs> um, and Justin Jones lost like 20 pounds. Uh, yeah. But yeah, did, <laughs> different different positions need different things. Um, yeah, I, I think the, the weight thing and trying to kind of gauge that is going to be interesting. I wonder if when Rumpf is on the field... Uh, kind of like Tyler said, uh, maybe they'll devise something to be able to like kind of take the stress off him a little bit um, in the sense of maybe like, you know, letting Kenneth Murray kind of just be near him one play. And like if, you know, someone does mm -hmm. come, you know, rushing up the middle, hey, you know, you can, you know, just bring him down there. Like, I, I think that could be an interesting thing to play around with. Uh, or at least making it so his weight isn't a liability, uh, because I, I don't think he's gonna, you know, necessarily gain twenty pounds or thirty pounds in the next two months. Uh, right. Obviously, training training camp could be a very different. I will. Uh, <laughs> training camp could be a very different animal. Um, but you know, uh, I, I think it'll be interesting to watch just how they use the other players to kind of take the stress um, off, not just a player like Rump but also, you know, a, a rookie like Webb in the secondary. Yeah. Um, to Tyler's point, there's a Raising Canes that's being built down the street for me, so that's going to be dangerous. <laughs> um, it's a race. It is a race. The last note I have here today, you know, we kind of talked about, you know, is MK Egbole a linebacker? Is he an edge? Where is Joe Gaziano fitting in? Um, Daniel Popper did his last article last week. And he pointed out that MK Egbule and Jesse Lemonier are working with the edge rushers. They're working with Jay Rogers, Joey Bosa, and Wos and all those guys. And Joe Gaziano is actually working with the interior pass rushers. So Gaziano is okay. working as essentially, you know, defensive tackle, if you will. Um, I don't know. We'll have to get into if that changes roster predictions for any of us uh, down the road. But just wanted to make everyone mm -hmm. aware that. You know, if you're looking at Joe Gaziano, he's not a 3-4 outside linebacker type. Like, they're working him in with the defensive tackles, and M.K. Egle is an edge rusher. Yeah, cool. that uh, makes sense. We, yeah, I cool. think you, Jason, and I had him as a potential defensive tackle. Like, I think we, he was a DN in college, and we thought, hey, maybe he should bulk up and play D-tackles. That's interesting. Another player who needs to gain weight. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I think not very much, right? Because he is, you know, on the heavier side of things for the edge rushers. I think he's a powerful player. And if you're working him in, you know, as a rotational, like five technique, defensive tackle, defensive end, I think that could be a role for him. Um, I, I still would be surprised if he makes a roster, frankly, just because of, of who else is in front of him. Um, but hey, I think this maybe gives him a better chance. So, um, all right, guys, any other thoughts before we wrap up today's show? Awkward Alex? silence. I'm no, assuming okay, that means I'm like, no. I'm like, no, no, I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. Okay, um, go, Tyler, go. If you need a player who doesn't have to get any weight, you can play maybe play uh, you know D end or D tackle. You know, Darius Bradwell's always available. <laughs> I mean, he could probably you know if him and uh, he's two thirty five. No way is he that is he that light. <laughs> he's listed at two thirty five right uh, now. Oh, you, that's too light. You think? Did you see the picture of him walking in front of Justin Jackson, dude? Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> what is Gabe Neighbors listed at? 
Uh, okay, hold on. Hold on, listeners. <laughs> Gabe Neighbors is 235. There's no way three, that three those are taller. Be the same. No. He's three inches taller. Yeah, I don't believe that. <laughs> Rattle's six foot and 235. So he's like, you know. Gabe is 6'3? Shorter. Apparently. Says Google. What do I know? There's no way, man. There's no way that Fraddle's only 235. <laughs> That's like uh, Google listing Kevin Durant at 6'8 when he's actually like seven feet tall. <laughs> oh, man. That, that picture of, of him next to Boogie Cousins at the Olympics <laughs> always cracks me up because they're both listed at the same height and Durant is clearly like three inches taller. Yeah. Um, all right, so <laughs> I'll verify Darius Bradwell's weight for next time. Um, Let's get Darius Bradwell on the show to ask him about his weight. <laughs> it, it's the, the weight version of Donald Parham. You know, I feel like Donald Parham's actually like seven feet tall. I feel like Darius Bradwell is actually probably like 245, 250. Um, but yeah, anyway, so that's going to do it for us today, guys. Uh, I'm going to be out of town next week, so it's going to be just Tyler and Alex for the next episode or two. Uh, depending on when I can get back from uh, visiting my family in Utah. So those two are going to have a great time this week. Looking forward to listening to those myself. As always, leave us a rating or a view on the audio platforms. Leave us a comment and make sure and subscribe to the channel. You know, all of the more subscribers are obviously welcome and help us out a lot. So thank you for tuning in and we'll see you guys next time. God help us all just trying to figure out how me or Tyler are going to host the show. <laughs> We'll be fine. I did it for two months. We're good. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs>